0: Did
1: God speak to Eli about his son's immorality? He did, twice, in fact. First, Mm -hmm. as I was younger, he sent somebody to speak to Eli about it, and then later I said something, too. But this man who's unnamed, I don't know if it was maybe an angel or perhaps just a prophet from the school of prophets that visited. Scripture doesn't say. An unnamed prophet showed up to Eli and told him, this is despicable, you're not supposed to do this. And he says, and God's going to cut short your family's line if you persist with this kind of behavior. But that didn't seem to change much because they continued to persist in these evil practices for quite, a, quite some time after that. And then the same prophet said to Eli, although good will be done in Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age. You'd think that would be enough to kind would of think. put a guy on notice. Right. It didn't. He even got specific in his prophecy, this unnamed prophet. And he said, what happens to your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They will both die on the same day. Whew.
0: And yet Eli continued to allow his sons to behave the way they had been.
1: He did. Wow. I suppose that's another reason why God still wanted me to be raised up and become a voice of truth. Yeah. Well, Samuel, how did how did you know you were called by God
0: to be a prophet?
1: Ah, that's a... Good question. I've been intrigued uh, because I've been dead long enough to talk to some other prophets. (laughs) We all have our calling stories, and it's fun to get these prophets in the same room together. Uh. It's so neat. It's almost like preachers talking about their funny baptism stories. We've all got them. And these prophets will get together, and mine was a little bit of an unusual thing. I was actually lying down in the portion of the tabernacle where I would sleep at night, and I heard this voice calling my name, Samuel. Well, when you're a young guy and you hear a voice and there's nobody else there except Eli the priest, what are you to imagine? I thought it was Eli the priest. So I get up, I walk in obediently and I said, yes, Eli, uh, you called? And he said, what? I said, you called? I I heard my name called. He goes, no, that that wasn't me. He says, go back and lie down again. Okay. Maybe I'm dreaming. Maybe he thought, maybe he's dreaming. I don't know. So I went back, laid down again and sure enough, a little bit later, I heard my name again, second time. Samuel, what am I to think? Never had this experience before. Go into Eli again. Yes, Eli. What are you talking about? No, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. How can a (laughs) guy get some good sleep around here? So he he sends me back. I go lie down again. Third time it happens. This time, Eli started to catch on a little bit. Have You ever noticed in Scripture sometimes where things will happen in threes because God's really trying to get through? Well, he finally says to me this time, he goes, ah, I think this is the Lord trying to get your attention. The next time this happens, then you say, Hear my Lord speak, your servant is listening. And I did. I went, lay down again. Sure enough, I heard my voice again. And I said what Eli told me to say. And it was God. Mm. God actually spoke to me. And this was the scary part for me is that God had some very specific things for me. And they were not kind things about Eli. Can you imagine being in the next room and the guy who's raising you, who's a priest, supposed to be a servant of God, is over here in this next room, and God's telling you bad things about him. Uh, Ah. I was a young guy. This is heavy, but this is a part of my calling. The Lord said to me, I want to read this to make sure I get God's words correct. See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it ring. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family, referring to this other prophet, I Mm -hmm. told him through that prophet that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Oh my word. Mm -hmm. This would mean that if Eli's family is cut short, that's the end of the Levitical priesthood. That's a big deal. That's a heavy thing for a young man of my age to soak in. And I was, of course, I wasn't going to just run and say, Hey, Eli, guess what God just told me? No, I don't want to say that stuff. But the next day, guess what Eli does? He starts pestering me. Tell me what God said to you. And I said, I don't want to say that, Eli. And he goes, No. May it be ever so bad for you if you don't tell every word that God said. said. Okay. And so I didn't hold back. I told him everything verbatim what God had told me on that night before. And I was expecting some sort of retaliation, but to his credit, Eli says, okay, he's God. Mm. May it be done according to his word. Amen. That was heavy.
0: That is heavy.
1: But that was a part of my calling. Mm. So did others affirm your calling as a prophet? They did. They did. And uh, it, to me, I think even I knew without a doubt that God was calling me to do something special because of that specific incident, but Scripture records later how other people responded to <laughs> me, and it says that all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, mm. recognized that Samuel was a trustworthy prophet of the Lord. So there were a lot of affirmations along the long way. Yeah. Samuel,
0: you mentioned a little while ago that the Ark of the Covenant was taken by the Philistines. Ooh. Yeah.
1: yeah. Could you tell us more about that? Ouch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a tough day, mm-hmm. tough couple of days. The Philistines were coming in, trying to make trouble for us, as they did. And this time, we had a group of soldiers that went out against them. And they were thinking, "Okay, we've got God on our side. We're all prayed up. Surely we're going to win this battle, right?" Yeah, gung ho. The Philistines routed us. We lost four thousand of our men. Humiliating defeat that day. Bad day. So we were. The soldiers were coming back in with their tails tucked between their legs. They were having a hard time with this defeat. And somebody got the bright idea. I don't remember who it was. They said, hey, let's go back to Shiloh. We'll get the Ark of the Covenant. And we'll bring God with us into battle tomorrow. Can't lose if we got God there, right? So they sent a delegation of guys over there, sure enough. And, of course, Hophni and Phinehas were there because they had been part of that uh, contingent watching the Ark down at Shiloh. Those were Eli's sons? Mm Mm-hmm. They were in in Shiloh at the tabernacle, and they brought the ark back so that they could take it into battle with them. And at first, when the ark came into the camp, people were, oh, boy, they were shouting and cheering and, yeah, let's party. We got God on our side now. Those Philistines are going down. (laughs) And we went into battle the next day. I mentioned that we lost 4,000 men the first day. Right. And next day, it was horrible. 30,000 soldiers were lost. Wow, 30,000. And to make matters worse, the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant and took it back with them. It was a horrible day. Mm. And you remember the prophecy from that unknown prophet? Uh, that came true on that very same day because both Hophni and Phinehas were killed on the same day, exactly as the prophet had foretold. So Eli, meanwhile back in Shiloh, He takes a chair out to the edge of town, sets it to the side of the road because he wants to be the first to hear news coming back from the battle. He was concerned about the ark having been taken out of the tabernacle and, of course, about his sons. And a foot courier went running into Shiloh to give him the news. And when Eli heard that both his sons had been killed and then when he heard that the ark had been captured by the Philistine army, he was so shocked that he fell backward off his chair and he had become so portly from eating the fat on the meat Mm that the weight of the fall broke his neck, and he died too. All three of them, boom, the end of the Levitical line, right there in the same day. Wow! So that was, as you can imagine, a very tough time for Israel. Mm-hmm. Well, the Philistines carried the ark back with them. They thought, now we've got lightning in a bottle. We've captured their source of power. We've got the ark. Things didn't go well for them. As either. They kept the ark for a total of seven months, and during that seven months, all they had was just heartache and pain and difficulties. The first time they put the ark in with their god Dagon in their pagan temple, they got in there the next day. Dagon had fallen over on his face. Splat. So that didn't go so well. So they, well, let's put him back up again. The next day they came back, Dagon had fallen over again a second time. This time his head and his hands had broken off. They're thinking, uh oh. Things are not looking too good to have this around. Then they continued to have it. Bad things happened. All their people were stricken with tumors. Mm. It was a rough time for them. I mean, it was just a time of real plagues for them. And they said, we've got to get rid of this ark. <laughs> and we've got nothing but trouble. So they finally sent the ark back. They made the same mistake, I think, that Israel had made. That they were putting their trust in a symbol of God instead of putting their trust in God himself. God is too powerful and too big to be shrunk down and contained in a symbol Amen. or contained in a box like the ark. It was like they were using God as a talisman, a good luck charm. Say, man, if I can get God on my side, we can whip them. And that was the wrong motive. God wanted them to serve him for all the right motives, and their motives had gotten so twisted over the years. So Samuel, what was
0: it that God wanted you to say now that Eli and his sons were gone?
1: Mm. Well, I think Reformation was the key word. If I could boil it down into one word, he wanted me to start a reformation in Israel. And I I did start that. I called a solemn assembly at Mizpah. I led them in a time of prayer and fasting. And I said, look, guys, You've got to get rid of every one of these false gods, these idols, because many of the people in Israel had started to incorporate all these little man-made idols and gods into their own personal worship. It was almost like they could see, well, we're going to do a smorgasbord. I'm going to take a little bit of Dagon. I'm going to take a little Ashtoreth. I'm going to do this and that, maybe a little Baal worship. But I'm still going to go to Tabernacle for the annual feasts, Mm. so I'm okay. And God says, no, I'm God. You're supposed to worship me and me alone. What are you doing? And so I was God's spokesperson to tell them, you got to get rid of this stuff. Throw them out. Mm-hmm. And I said, we need to acknowledge that Israel has been sinning as a nation before God. It's time for us to put God first instead of giving him the leftovers like
0: Hophni and Phinehas have been doing. Mm-hmm. So am I remembering correctly that the Philistines heard that you had gathered there at Mitzbah and that uh, <laughs> they tried to attack you during your time of
1: prayer and fasting? They did indeed. Mm. And you'd think, well, that was a little strategic thought on their part. We'll get them while they're praying and fasting. And, of course, if we're fasting, we'll be weak. And so they're thinking, "Ah, we got them now. Somebody found out about it. We understood that they were coming for us again. And so our folks, who had been starting to pray and fast, they were starting to turn their hearts back toward the Lord, they said, Samuel, keep praying for us. I offered a lamb, a little foreshadowing there, again, Mm -hmm. to the Lamb of God coming later on in history, about 1,000 years later, But sure enough, God started to intervene on our behalf, and he sent a thunderstorm, the likes of which the Philistines had never seen before, scared the pejeebers out of them until the Philistine army started to flee. They were running away, and our soldiers got to just chase after them. It was a remarkable thing. God did that, but I think he did that because Israel was starting to return to him and he was starting to reward them by saying, I'm going to maintain my line so that I can bless all nations through the seed of Israel, like he had said to Abraham back along the way. Hmm. So did you set up a monument to commemorate the victory? I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys think about Ebenezer Scrooge because of Charles Dickens and mm-hmm. stuff. Well, the Ebenezer, Netzer, the rock of help, stone of help. I set up a big memorial stone called the Ebenezer in response to that uh, between Mizpah and Shen. And as we were setting up that memorial stone, I couldn't help again but think back to my mother's uh, poetry and that prayer of thanksgiving that she had pinned after I was born because God answered her prayer. And I thought, yes, God is our stone of help. He is our only rock. There's no rock like our God. So that theme just kind of kept popping up in my life, Mm -hmm. starting all the way back with my mother, Hannah. So
0: Samuel, is it true that the Philistines stopped invading your territory after that?
1: Amazingly, Yes. (laughs) It was a period of peace that Israel had not seen for a very long time. And I'm grateful for that. It's something only God can do. Even some of those despicable people that were our neighbors that kept trying to attack, there was some relative peace through the rest of my lifetime, at least. After I died, <clears throat> things kind of got bad again. But God gets all the glory for that. Praise Yahweh. He kept the peace between us and other, other neighboring Amen. people. Yep.
0: I understand that you were sort of a circuit riding judge <laughs> and prophet. Uh, Is
1: that an accurate description? That's a little bit of a a modern-day jargon, but yeah, that's a a good term to describe what I did. I felt it was important for me to get the pulse of the people, to be where they were. So, yes, I traveled around from place to place. I would go from Bethel to Gilgal to Mizpah, and I would stay at each place long enough to feel like I was really hearing from God and had words for the people. So, yeah, circuit riding, that that works for me. I like that. So (laughs) then I
0: understand there were some difficulties. Uh, The people in Israel wanted a king. Yes.
1: This is the stuff that just chafes me sometimes because we would look back in Israel's history and we would Uh see God would do a glorious thing. He would save the people. Even back with Moses, you know, they get to the Red Sea. What are we going to do? I'll part the Red Sea. Ooh. And then they're across the Red Sea. I miss my leeks and onions. Ah! It's things like that. And, And the same thing happened with them. God would usher in these great victories. He would save us from the Philistines. All these things would happen. And then they would get dissatisfied. And they became dissatisfied and their hearts were starting to misalign again instead of looking at God as our only person who could be our refuge and our strength and the the help in times of trouble. They wanted to be able to have more horses and chariots. They wanted to have a king like those other nations that they'd seen around there. We want somebody like a king to run in there and fight our battles for us, thinking that if they just get the right king, everything's going to be peachy keen in Israel. And that was not so. There are a lot of leaders in Israel that saw that. Another factor here that's painful to me personally, my two sons were starting to take over some of my ministry responsibilities. I was helping teach them how to do some of that, but they lived far enough away that they didn't have daddy uh, looking over their shoulder. They started to become selfish, and they were taking bribes. They were starting Mm -hmm. to do some things just like Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had started to do. So some of these people, the leaders in Israel, didn't like that. And I was growing old. They knew I wasn't going to be around forever. And so they sent a delegation, and they decided to teach or to tell me what they wanted, that they needed me to to side with them and to say, we need a king like those other nations around us. Listen to Deuteronomy 17. This is something that shows me that God had already had this in mind. This is written by Moses. Now you think about this, way back in history, God knew that where I was, this was going to happen, which shows me that God has his hand on everything, Mm -hmm. even when things look like they're spiraling completely out of control, either politically or with warfare or whatever, God's in control. This is Moses, says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled down, and you say, let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Does that sound familiar? Mm -hmm. That's exactly what was happening to us. Be sure to appoint over you a king, the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Don't place a foreigner over you who is not an Israelite. And then he goes on in that same passage to say, and when you get a king, make sure you give him instructions that he's not supposed to have a bunch of wives. Mm. Too bad Solomon didn't get that memo. That he's not supposed to gain lots of personal wealth because it's not supposed to turn this into something that's going to just serve him only. He's supposed to write these words down and remember them Well, God wanted to make sure that Israel would put him first, and so he inspired Moses to write that long before this even took place. Hmm. So hadn't Israel toyed with the idea of having a king even earlier? They had, actually, yes. I mean, Moses clearly foresaw that stuff coming, but Mm -hmm. remember uh, in the book of Judges I talked about Gideon, Mm -hmm. one of those other judges? He had actually won a battle, and uh, people thought it was just really supernatural because it was. As a time when God did something that only God could do in a way only God could do it. And then the people were saying, we want to make you king. And they go, no, 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 you can't make me king, and you won't make my sons king either. Only Yahweh deserves our respect. So they had sort of toyed, tiptoed around the idea of a king even before they got down the line to where we were now in hmm. history. So if it wasn't
0: wrong for Israel to have a king. Then, then what was uh, the problem?
1: Good question, too. It's a mixed bag there. There's a couple of problems. I think the major problem had to do with the motive mm. for that. If they had said, God, appoint us a godly king that represents you, maybe it wouldn't have been so bad. But they were saying, we want to be like those other nations. I think that was the problem. Mm -hmm. It was the desire to be like everybody else because they think they're doing fine. Boy, if there's not an application for today, I don't know what is. Mm -hmm. I mean, God's pretty clear in his word about certain things, but we've got folks that say, yeah, but I want to be like those people because we think that they're doing really well. But if you really get inside their minds and hearts, you'd probably find out, They're not terribly happy people, even though they appear to have lots of success. So it's easier for our first reaction to be like mine was, just cry and whine about it. And that's the way I felt when that delegation came to me. And they said, we want a king. I thought they were rejecting me. And so I felt bad about it. And I just, (laughs) and then my second reaction was to finally start talking to God about it. So I went to the Lord in prayer. And basically his word to me was some perspective. He says, Samuel, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Mm. And I see this with all the other prophets that I've spoken with when we get together. Uh, they're really not rejecting specifically the individual who is the spokesperson for God. They're rejecting the God who's behind the message. And they did that. And these people were rejecting God, too. And so God says, but give them what they want. Just warn them first. Make sure that you're very specific about what they can expect if they get a king. Warn them first. But if they persist in that, they just give them what they want. And so I did. I warned him. I said, man, if you get a king, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. They're going to take your best men. They're going to be put in the army. They're going to be in chariots. You have guys running ahead. They're probably going to get killed in battle. They're going to take all the best stuff from your fields and feed it to the armies. I said, you're going to be like slaves to this king if you just decide to go down that path. But hey, if you want to, at least you know up front what the consequences will be. And guess what they chose? Yeah, that's okay. We still want a king. Yeah. So God says, okay, give them what they want. And here's something that I learned from that whole experience. I think it's very important for us, just really vital to understand that if we keep saying to God, I want to be my own person, I want to do things my way, and I don't care what your word says, I want to do this because all the other people are doing it that way too, beware. I'm going to tell you as a prophet, beware, because someday God's going to say, I'm going to turn you over to your own devices. And that's his worst punishment. He doesn't even have to punish you. He just lets you do what you're going to do. And I'll guarantee you, as a prophet, I'm telling you, I'll guarantee you that you're going to come to a point when you've tried to be your own person, when you're going to just repent and say, save me from this thing. What is that thing? Doing your own thing. Mm. That when your way, when your will is something God allows you to have, when God says, okay, your will be done, you're going to beg him to save you from that thing, if you continually choose to do things without consulting his word and trusting that God's word is true, God's word is still true today, and we can trust it. So if you fast forward in history, just a couple of years, you'll see that Saul, this first king whom I anointed, mm-hmm. had some serious problems too. I mean, first king, God shows me who to anoint, I do, it's Saul, things look good, he saves one city, people yay, ah, rah, rah. And then soon after that, he starts going nuts, and he's wanting to kill David. He seeks to kill David. He's chasing after David, who's going to be the second king, whom I'm anointed. Think about it, folks. We are one king into the kingship era of Israel, and the first king is trying to kill the second king. Mm. Things are not going well for the kingship in Israel. Mm. The whole we want a king thing is not off to a great start. Yeah. So who was the king by
0: the time, you know, about the time you died? It's a question we don't get very often. Mm. By
1: the time you died, what? <laughs> that strikes me funny. But um, Well, at the time I passed away, Saul was still trying to get David. Yeah. Uh, so David hadn't really become prominent yet. Mm-hmm. Saul was still jealous of him. But that didn't mean that God was through with me yet. Mm. So, and as
0: I recall, God chose, you, chose to use you. In a <laughs> prophetic way. Even
1: after you had passed on, Yes, you're gone. You're no longer
0: here. Oh, Can it's, you
1: elaborate? Yes, it's so peculiar. It is so weird. I mean, I, it happened to me, and I even think it's weird. Because even after I would passed away, Saul, who had been killing off, systematically killing off the prophets who could speak for God to him if he had wanted to, but he would killed a bunch of these people and their families, completely wiped them out. 85 priests and their families. Saul had killed them. So there's only one left, but guess where he is? He's with David. And who's trying to kill David? Saul. So he can't really go to that guy and say, hey, can I talk to God? So he's trying to figure out, how can I break through the supernatural barrier and get some sort of wisdom here? So what does Saul do? Well, he disobeys God again by seeking the divination or this supernatural knowledge from a witch, the witch of Endor. He goes to her, and again, as weird as this seems, God can even use the places that we're going that we're not supposed to go to speak directly to us and give us a word of truth. Sometimes those are very harsh words, but he speaks often when we're right in the middle of disobedience, and he'll speak loudly and clearly. And he spoke to Saul, even through the witch. You know it's weird when a witch is shocked. <laughs> she was shocked when she was able to conjure my spirit up. And then God used my spirit to tell Saul, you're going to die, mm. and you're going to die tomorrow.
0: Probably not what he wanted to hear.
1: No. (laughs) But sure enough, Saul died the very next day. So God can use so many things in our lives to try to get through to us, especially even when we're right in the middle of our disobedience. And I'm grateful for that, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. Because isn't that true for all of us that even while we were disobeying, even while we were yet sinners, forward in history, Christ died for us. That's the kind of God we serve. God loves us enough To discipline us because he disciplines those whom he loves. And he will get our attention, even if we're in disobedience, even if we're in rebellion to him. God will get our attention. Sometimes it's not pretty the way he does it, but he'll do it. And if we'll respond to it, he is so loving and gracious to be able to welcome us in. And life is just so much better if we'll respond to him and put him first in our lives. So I just want to turn that to you all and say a lot of times people in Israel were not listening, but God is speaking. And he continues to speak today. Are you listening? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your prophets. I thank you that you had inspired writers so that we have access to these prophets' experiences and words even today. And I pray that we will be listening to your Holy Spirit because you're constantly trying to get our attention and you're always revealing yourself and your plan to us. May we respond to it in obedience, and may we repent when we find that we're being disobedient to you. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.